This is Colossus, and you're listening to The High Regard Show. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is The High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, don't get better than that. Nope, sir. The things we do for you, listeners. Press buttons like a sausage-fingered freak. We don't listen to Tom talk enough. Oh, please. I got a hot mic here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Hi. Here we go again. Same channel, everything. If you're on the East Coast, hopefully you had a chance to thaw out a little bit. It has been ridiculous. It has been so horrible here on the East Coast. Yeah, well, we can't all live the high life as they do on the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we got quite the show for you this week. We do. We have a very chock-a-block show. Yes, and I got to say, like, Nikki heard the interview that we have coming up. She thought it was one of my best interviews. I really do. I really, truly do. Because we all know that Tom can get a little bit long-winded when it comes to being on the mic by himself. We all know that. We've we've seen the half-an-hour interviews. But this one was really, really good. And he actually saved us from a Mario Lopez situation. Yeah, well, there's a... My thing is, is that I like to relate to the person that I'm talking to, and then I forget that I'm doing an interview, and I feel like <laughs> I'm the one giving the interview, where I was like, well, you, would you like to know my experience? And chances are, these people, they, probably they don't, don't. want to know my experience at all, whatsoever. But our interview, E, was very, very sweet, and she's very, very knowledgeable and passionate, and I can't wait to share it with everybody. So, let's so, get to what you heard. Yes, we can get the rest of the show rolling. Exactly. All right. This week's You Heard comes to us from Central Park West between 63rd and 64th Street. That's some mad dog bud, man. Wow. Talk about a tie-in. Talk about a very, very fitting You Heard. Very much so indeed. And it's, you know, it's weird because I feel like even though New York is not a legal recreational state, you can't go anywhere without smelling weed on the streets. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't smoke weed. Right. It's very, very bizarre, like, how it's illegal. Like, I I could see somebody coming here from Europe and, like, buying and getting a fine for buying. Right. And just saying, like... My defense is I had no idea. Like, how would you expect people to know it's illegal if everybody's smoking right now (laughs) in this state, which is pretty much what's happening here? Absolutely. So. Well, let's end your herd and get into the interview before you completely take over my one segment. All right. So, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about our interviewee, Sage Amdahl? Sure, I'd be pleasured to do so. Okay. (laughs) All right, whatever. (laughs) So, here's the deal. I found Sage because she came highly recommended in some of the groups that I am a part of on Facebook, which deal with legal consumption of cannabis for medical use only. And... You and I spoke about this a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, over the last couple of months, not even that long ago, but since I have become like registered in New York State as legal medical Mm -hmm. cannabis user for a variety of things. Um, But at the end of the day, when we had spoke about it, we said, maybe we shouldn't tell people that I even have a legal medical card. Right, because there's such a stigma Right. Against marijuana, whether it's legal, recreational, there's just a stigma associated with using it either way. Right. But I feel like right now, more than ever, if you are a legal cannabis user, you have got to voice your opinion on these things. Like, you have got to come forward and let people know, I'm using this, it's helping. You know, I'm not using it all day long. This is not a recreational thing. This is something that, you know. Right, because we are not 
in a political climate where people matter. Right. It's the bucks that matter. It's what the white men running this government, the conservatives running this government, it's what they want to do to make money on their end and put in their pocket. That's what this time is about right now. And if you're feel if you have something that's helping you that's not big pharma, that's a problem for them. Absolutely. And you know, as a person who stated to you early on, like, hey, I don't want to tell people that I'm on this because I don't want to be a part of that. I also have the responsibility to let people know that I am on it and it is working so that, you know, it doesn't get stopped. And right now we're at a point where the powers that be really want to stop things that are helping people. Right, because they don't care about people. Like, look at the tax reform. Look at everything that they're doing with the with gays and transgenders. Like, they don't care about people. Right. So the important thing now is to stand up, give it a voice. It doesn't really, I guess, the stigma part of it is over. Like, you know, you're going to look at me really. and say, hey, listen. I mean, as far as worrying about it. Right, goes. yeah, no. Like, I think people more than ever before are open about talking about it recreationally talking about it medically and you do get into this in the interview which was such an important point because I get so pissed off when you see the news reports that are like oh dispensaries are opening or when when Colorado went legal you know a few years back every person that they talked to was the exact person that you know my parents would call a stoner right what like it's a stereotypical but like they don't show the people who were standing around them that are like i am so excited that i can finally get something to help my medical condition or i'm doing like they never show the people that are fully functioning you know users of marijuana because they're out there Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, just going to my first visit to the dispensary, like, you know, a couple of months ago right. and walking in, not knowing what to expect. In my head, I feel like I was kind of prejudiced walking in because I've kind of figured it was going to be all people my age, maybe younger, you know, just coming in and like, you know, I'm going to be the person that needs it for medical and they're somehow going to like swindle a license. There's no swindling a license in New York. Like, it's a pain in the ass to get a license in New York. Yeah, you have to jump through a lot of hoops. Because a lot of people who want it for recreational purposes, who are thinking it's going to open a gateway like it appeared to do in California for so many people that I know, that, you know, they're going to be dissuaded by all of the hoops that you have to jump through. Right. Right. Because it's a lot. It's a pain in the ass. It is. It really is. But, you know, going in there and seeing that it was like, you know, people that were like older than me, the majority of people that were in there Mm -hmm. were older than me. And it was people who did not look well. They Mm -hmm. were sick, you know. Right. It looked like you went into a regular medical office. Uh, Exactly. And it was like, you know, all right, this is what the reality of it is. It isn't, you know, the long head guy like wearing his, you know, Ozzy t-shirt like just <laughs> waiting online to get like his dime bag from right, from sure, the store you know sure. but you know I think that going forward with this show we might want to investigate more things as far as the cannabis industry and more importantly the education of what it's helping and what it right. can help and you know the lack of benefits that can come if the government gets involved and starts shutting down dispensaries, especially medical dispensaries. I mean, one thing that I didn't know, but I I learned from this interview was that when recreational cannabis comes to a state, all of the medical cannabis facilities close down. Now, that's that's something that's definitely not just for Washington State, because that's where Sage is based. I don't believe so. And you know, and from what I understand of it, and again, I could be wrong, which is why this has to, I believe, be a continuing conversation. Yeah. Um, But the way I understood it from the conversation with Sage, which will be coming right up, (laughs) is, um, you know, once the states go recreational, they don't want to have like a recreational program and a medical program. Which doesn't make sense to me because you're getting money on both ends. 
And you're going to be getting a lot of money on both ends because you're going to have the people that want to smoke to smoke who are smoking illegally. And then you're still going to have the people who want because it's a totally different product, whether it's medical versus um, recreational. It's a totally different product product because they make the changes like the the CBD for the pain and, you know, the THC for the relaxation. Right. But I think where they're really, really doubling up on their cash is if they close down the medical aspect of it, which has, you know, much higher potencies in their strains sure. as far as because whatever they're, they're selling. Yeah. You're now making it recreational and you're limiting the amount of THC or CBD, the two active components that are in there that either help for pain or for relaxation. And what's happening then is, you know, if you're capping that at a lower amount and saying like, we're not gonna sell medical grade, we're only gonna sell recreational grade. If you have a medical problem and you have to go to a recreational facility, you're gonna have to double, triple, quadruple up on medicines Mm -hmm. that you would buy like, all right, like I can buy this one dose of something in a medical dispensary, I have to buy four times over in order to make it work as good for this. So they're making four times the amount of money on medical patients, which is, which is the scam right there, right, man. It's, right. you know, it's not about helping people. It's about cashing in. So, you know, one of the things that Sage talks to is that, you know, she doesn't necessarily like when recreational becomes law. Sure. Because it takes away from the medical aspect of it, which is what it really should be there for right. more than anything. Right. And that's how, and you know, and Sage is going to talk about, you know, how she how she, she talks about the first time that she experienced marijuana, which was for recreational purposes. But then she realized that it helped a longstanding issue that she has with her eyes and how it helps. And she, she's going to explain a little bit about how her eye doctors were very surprised because she went in, you know, not having marijuana, um, edible marijuana. And then she went in having it. And the difference that the doctor saw in her sight yeah. You know, and I mean, she's had this issue since she was a child. She had, glau- she had, she's had glaucoma since she was a child. So she's going to explain that. She's going to talk a little bit about her work, her f- plans for the future, and, you know, kind of what her, her, not her plans for the future, but kind of like her, her worries for the future, really, with the current administration. And she even shares a little recipe with us, doesn't she, Tom? She sure does. And I cannot wait. I want to make it like tonight. It sounds delicious. It sure does. So why don't we get rolling on it and um, and check out what Sage has to say. Why don't you roll that fabulous bean footage, Tom? Will do. Hi, it's Tom from the High Regard Show. Hi. How are you today, Sage? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Hanging in there. You came highly recommended as somebody to talk to from, you know, some of the groups that I'm a part of. And uh-huh. I was wondering if maybe we could start off by talking a little bit about Sage Advice and how that came about. Absolutely. Great. So uh, basically what Sage Advice is, is a consultation service offered to patients in need who are looking for, you know, uh, assistance in finding more of a homeopathic approach to healing themselves and feeling better using cannabis and other herbs and um, different uh, things found in nature like mushrooms as well uh, that all work really well together um, synergistically uh, for a natural way of healing without taking pharmaceuticals. Gotcha. And since I know the laws have been changing rapidly, um, can you maybe discuss like how the business has changed since it was founded till now? Well, really, since I'm a product service and not a product, I haven't had to go through a lot of the uh, bureaucracy that many other industries uh, have when it comes to cannabis products. Since I'm not facilitating actual cannabis to people, uh, I don't really have to, I'm not really under the same kind of scrutiny as um, somebody who works for like the 502 industry, recreational industry in my state. 
Right. And how has that affected your business? Like the, the fact that recreational is now available in Washington? Well, I would say, yeah, I've had a, I mean, I started Sage Advice because of the recreational market. What happened was is that in Washington State, we basically lost all of our dispensaries. They were all forced to close and either merge into I-502 or just disappear. Uh, and then, of course, they stopped allowing uh, cooperative gardens and, and um, patients also, like when they go to a recreational store over here in Washington, edibles are capped at 10 milligram doses which really isn't very efficient for somebody who has a condition where they need something stronger because they're not going to sit down and eat a whole bag of cookies, <laughs> you know? So uh, what I do is I basically teach people uh, how to cook with it in their daily lives and create dosages that are continuous with what they're trying to achieve. You know, patients could still potentially go to a recreation store and buy the initial cannabis to make their products. Um, but using my techniques, they can take that flower and then create things that are more specific to what their, what their needs are. And I feel like that's kind of like what we're focusing on um, now, like with, with this particular show that we're in the middle of. Um, I myself had just recently gotten, I guess like two months ago, um, legal marijuana status here in New York State, which is such a hassle. It's absolutely insane the hoops they make you jump through to to get it done. But as soon as I became legal, one of the things that I realized was buying from the dispensaries is very, very expensive here. And the amount that or the like the amount of things that you can actually purchase are so limited that it kind of takes away some like we're here in New York state. We're allowed to have tincture. We're allowed to have, um, uh, what else? We're allowed to have tincture. We're allowed to have vape pens. We're allowed to have pills. And there's like a Banaka spray and that's it. Right. So it's kind of limiting, especially, you know, for somebody who in the middle of the day will like have panic attacks and stuff. And then, you know, the doctor's like, well, you could take a hit of the vape pen. And I'm like, well, I'd rather have like a gummy bear, <laughs> you know? Right. So, and I'm sure there's Lucy. a lot of people out there the same way. Yeah, and that's, and that is a real valid issue is, you know, um, being kind of forced to buy what's available but might not necessarily be the best for you. Like, I'm sure, for example, there are some people out there who, um, you know, have celiac disease and they don't want any gluten. I mean, finding a gluten-free edible is almost impossible. <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, some people are diabetic and they don't want sugar. Right. You know, it's, it's really hard to, to find things like that. So if they can just find the flower, there's a multitude of things that people can use to make their, you know, their medicine with, um, you know, you can do infusions into different kind of oils, you know, different culinary oils. And believe it or not, different kind of culinary oils actually have an effect on how you metabolize the cannabinoids because it has to do with that, how your body metabolizes um, uh, supersaturated fats as opposed to mono or polysaturated fats. They're not digested the same in the digestive system. So there are ways that can help people because I know some people who eat edibles also and they say, I don't feel it. They don't feel a thing. And it's usually because it was made with coconut oil, which uh -huh. is a super saturated fat. And the problem with coconut oil is it just, it goes, it's processed by the liver. So it's not going to really get broken down into the body until it meets the liver. But the liver is also your body's natural filtration system to saying yay or nay to what goes into your system and what is filtered out. And cannabinoids oftentimes are filtered out by people with absorption process problems. And um, so using something like a polysaturated fat like olive oil, which is digested in the small intestine before it even makes it to the liver, is more a viable option for people who have an absorption problem. Interesting. See, that's the other thing. Like, this is why we're talking to you. In reading up on it, it seems like a lot of recipes will immediately call for either butter or coconut oil. But they never really mention the use of any other oil. 
Right. And it comes down to food science. And that's something that a lot of people don't really study anymore, unfortunately. But you really should if you're concerned about your health. Because what you put in is going to affect your whole body's systematic feeling. And um, you really want things to be most efficient. And, you know, a lot of times think people think that also just taking cannabis is the end-all cure. It's going to be the magic pill that makes them feel better. And cannabis is only one component to healing. There are other things that people have to consideration, like diet, exercise, and, of course, other homeopathic approaches that, or the herbs and things like that that could be added in that would also aid them as well. Hmm. Well, staying along the same the same lines as this, what would you say are some of the more um, common misconceptions um, in your field? I mean, we already covered, like, you know, butter and coconut, not necessarily the best choice for people. What are right. some other misconceptions? Decarboxylation. Oh, a lot of people have a whole misunderstanding about <laughs> how the process of converting THCA into THC, you know, that whole uh, process of converting your cannabinoids and making them become active by dropping that carbolic acid out of their, their molecule. A lot of people are on this bandwagon about throwing their cannabis in the oven and roasting it. And, and yes, this will decarboxylate your cannabinoids, but cannabinoids are not the only healing properties in the cannabis plant. Okay. Terpenes and flavonoids are also just as equally important. In fact, they are practically 50% responsible for some of the effects you get from cannabis. You know, sometimes people, uh, you know, that more couch lock sedated thing, high or uh, more energizing, cannabinoids do affect this, but terpenes do too. <laughs> okay. So when you put it in the oven, Terpenes are volatile compounds. They're very sensitive. And before they vaporize, they go through a process of degradation. High heat is the number one way to cause degradation of terpenes. So when people have been filled with this idea that that's the only way to decarboxylate their cannabis, um, they're misled. Because decarboxylation happens with a veritable, uh, you know, environmental reasons that change it. So basically, um, oxidation can cause decarboxylation. UV rays can cause decarboxylation. Um, and even low heat, not necessarily high heat, low heat too can cause decarboxylation. So there are ways that I've formulated to help kind of preserve these terpene profiles in the infusions. And that's actually to infuse your cannabis in the oil while it's decarboxylating. And so I do this at a low temperature of 106 degrees Fahrenheit for a total of 16 hours per day for three days, leaving that room temperature overnight. And your crock pot is an excellent way to do this. Most crock pots in the warm setting, not the, not the, the low setting, but the warm setting. Very important. They're, they're different. Okay. <laughs> but you put it on the warm setting and you just run it for three days, for 16 hours per day, you're going to convert your cannabinoids into active cannabinoids, you know, your THC, your CBD, your CBG, your CBC, all those great things. Um, and you're going to have a better terpene profile. Now, a lot of people say, hey, but I don't really like that rich herbal taste. I got a solution for that too. Oh. And it's called a butter wash. And so after you've done that three-day process of infusing, you can take your oil, and I really suggest using solid oils for this, like your butter, your coconut. Olive oil will congeal in the fridge, but it's not as deep congealing as uh, coconut oil or butter. So I really say practice once with the two solid oils, and then kind of baby step your way towards olive oil. It can be done, but it's a little more challenging. But okay. basically what you're going to do is you're going to take your oil that you infused, and you're going to do 50-50 parts oil and water in a saucepan on low heat, a gentle, very low simmer for about 10 minutes. Okay. And then you're going to pour your, your liquid into a glass mason jar and seal it really tight. And here's the trick. Turn the jar upside down mm -hmm. and
and place it in your freezer. And when it's in the freezer, the oil is going to rise to the top, which is actually the bottom of your jar. Okay. It's up to down. And the water will be on the bottom. When you're done, you can take it out of your freezer, open up the jar, and pour out the water. Make sure you don't freeze so long that the water becomes an ice cube. You don't want that. Okay. <laughs> so the oil becomes solidified. <laughs> okay. And then your butter will be much cleaner tasting. You see, and I literally today just read, and some of these groups, it's actually really funny when somebody says, how do I take the taste out? And then half the group, like, argues about, you know, why would you want to do that? That defeats the purpose. And the other half of the group will be defending the guy. And it's kind of like, yeah, but how do you do it? Like, you still want to know right. how to do it. <laughs> so, and there are different ways. Some people say that you could also, you know, basically blanch your buds in water before you even infuse them. I have a problem with this. Okay. And the reason I have a problem with this is that because there's little beautiful crystals on your buds, the trichomes, uh-huh. they're very sensitive. If you touch a bud, those trichomes come off on your finger, right? It comes off so easy. Right. Think about it. You're putting it in boiling water, an agitated substance, okay? So basically, when you put it with that water, you're actually knocking off some of your crystals. If you pour out that water, well, you just throw out your, your trichomes. Some of your trichomes. Now, it's not going to get rid of all of them, but the way that I do, where you infuse it in oil and then you wash the oil afterwards, you can't lose them. Why? Because cannabinoids bond to lipids. They bond to fats. So if you've already bonded it to your oil and oil and water don't mix, you're not going to lose them when you pour out the waste. What you will get rid of is the water-based products like chlorophyll. That's what's going to come out, and that tends to be the culprit when it comes to the strong herbal flavor in cannabis edibles. Gotcha. That's a neat trick. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. So what would you say, since, I mean, you're, you're in the industry, from a, health, from a health perspective, right now that you're seeing as far as, like, one of the biggest benefits of cooking with cannabis right now? Oh, wow. I noticed um, so many of them. But homeostasis. I've... Number one thing, it brings homeostasis in the body. Um, and it, homeostasis is basically where everything in your body is in balance. And this is what you want. This is how you attain good health, whatever your condition is. You want homeostasis. So um, cannabis can achieve many of these things um, for people who have like osteo or rheumatoid arthritis or if you have Crohn's disease or if you have diabetes, you know, cannabis is an amazing um, body regulator and it fills the deficiencies. I personally use it because I have glaucoma. I have actually the same condition as Elvi Musica who receives cannabis from the federal government every month, but I unfortunately am I'm not so lucky because the federal government decided to close the um, experimental IND program uh, back in the um, 90s, end of the 90s, and so they were not accepting any more candidates, so I'm not a, a candidate, even though we already have admitted that it works. <laughs> oh. um, but anyways, cannabis is my regulator because it uh, can, uh, glaucoma is kind of like diabetes in the eye. It's a problem with regulating eye pressure. And when you get too much pressure, it bruises your optic nerve, causing permanent damage, which creates blind spots in your vision. Cannabis lowers my inocular eye pressure and prevents this damage from happening. I've been using it for 20 years, and in the eye that I still see very well out of, um, there is minimal to no apparent damage from the glaucoma, even though I've had glaucoma my entire childhood. Um, and I really think, it, and I really attribute it to uh, my proactiveness on using cannabis and other herbs to treat it. Was the first time you tried cannabis for the use of the glaucoma, or was it more recreational to start? It was recreational. It was. Um, you know, I was like, I was just turning 18, and that's the first time I tried it. Uh, <laughs> but when I did try it, I noticed immediately that it had a benefit to my vision because for a long time when I was a teenager, um, I was having issues where I'd have to go to the emergency room. My pressure was really, really high. I would see halos around lights, which is very common for people who have high pressure glaucoma. Um, 
and it was it was very concerning to me uh, because uh, you know it's painful. The, having a high intraocular eye pressure is like the worst migraine in your head. Um, and when I tried cannabis, it removed those halos from my vision, and things became clearer. And it was very apparent to me that there is some kind of effect going on here. I really didn't harness this information until I was in my early 20s, when I really started experimenting with making edibles. Um, and that's when I noticed um, that this is the road I needed to go down, because edibles are better. A lot of ophthalmologists would tell me cannabis is ineffective because when you smoke it, the effects only last for an hour or two, and so they don't want to recommend smoking every two hours because that's also not very healthy. <laughs> um, but edibles last for six to eight hours and won't have any impact on my lungs at all uh, and are very effective. Um, so when I was able to present this to one of my ophthalmologists, I kind of tricked them. I kind of uh, went in and had them test me once without any edibles in my system and then I came back a second time after they had also recommended a medication. <laughs> and um, when it came back, they tested me again. And the doctor looked at me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> the medication I prescribed you would have not had this effect. And your pressure is very, very low. I know you did something. And I told him I ate a can of an edible. And he actually wrote it in my doctor's notes. That is awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. I have to tell you, like, in the field of ophthalmology, they still really don't consider cannabis a viable form of treatment. While I have proven to them that it works for me personally, they are not going to be writing me an authorization. However, they will say, if it works, keep doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any concerns about the future of legalization considering the current political climate? Yes, I do. Um, so here's the thing. I have a couple of fears. Um, one is, and I've noticed this in my state of Washington and in Oregon and, of course, now California, um, when recreational comes into the market, mm -hmm. I advise all other states to please, please, please protect your medical cannabis programs. Do not let the politicians or anybody lobbying against you say medical is a gray area. Don't let them do it. Cannabis, in my mind, is medicine before it's recreation. Right. Medicine is really the most vital purpose that we should be using it for. Recreational is fun, okay? Everybody likes fun. That's great. But let's get our priorities straight. Let's help the sick. Let's maintain the integrity of that. In Washington State, when we went legal with recreation, it was combination of the, uh, you know, state wanting that tax incentives as well as big recreational companies, some of them from out of state, coming in and lobbying against patients' rights forced our dispensaries to all close and for medical patients now to have to get their medicine from a recreational store. <sighs> that is so wrong. It yeah. should be the absolute opposite. Medical dispensaries should be able to dispense recreational cannabis because they have flour and they have the products, but it's medical first. It should be a dispensary. Right. In my mind, because the problem, like I said here, is with the issue of patients now not being able to get products that they need or the kind of products specific to their condition. And um, the other thing I would say is the thing I don't really like about Washington State is that patients who, patients kind of get tricked on this, okay? Okay. The state says, we're going to give you no taxes if you're a patient. Just sign up with their state registry system, right? Okay. No. Don't do that. Why? Well, because you go on a state registry system, they put your name on a list where anybody can look you up. And, yes, our state registry has already been compromised a couple times in Washington state. Well, under federal law, cannabis is still illegal. Um. And it is actually against the law to force somebody to self-incriminate. 
Yeah, that's exactly what a registration system does. A registration system, as long as our federal government recognizes cannabis illegal, you are self-incriminating yourself on a federal level as a patient. And that's, that's wrong. Uh, it also goes against any idea of um, your, your HIPAA, you know, your, your patient privacy laws. You know, what your doctor and you decide is best for your condition is between your doctor and you. It shouldn't be between state politicians and law enforcement. I don't think that's appropriate. They have no medical training. And, in, in, you know, anybody who's in legislation has no medical training. Anybody who's in law enforcement has no medical training. They do not have the information, the education, the experience to really be trying to set standards for doctors and patients. They need to take a step back. Um, and unfortunately, that's not what's happening. Um, so I would like to see those kind of things change. I'd like to prevent other states from going down that road. Um, and then also my biggest fear, mm-hmm. as patients and even in the recreational industry, we all should be afraid of rescheduling to Schedule Two. I really see the federal government using us as a pilot program. Okay. We are the pilot program, and what's going to happen is, I can totally see it, is they're going to reschedule it to Schedule 2, which basically means that it is under the FDA's administration, the whole control. People, if they want to research cannabis, they will have to apply for a medical research permit from the federal government. Um, it will be either very, very um, select on who the FDA approves. I can bet you pretty much anybody out there who has been participating in this industry, you probably, unless you're like the 1%, you're all going to be SOL, out of the industry overnight. You will have to close your businesses if you are providing cannabis products. Why? Because you're not FDA approved. (laughs) They're always looking to make that cut, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know it's a, it's a very viable fear. I don't really think there's much we can do to prevent that, unfortunately, because um, uh, it's not like you can. It's not like they're going to ask us our vote on it right. <laughs> when they decide to do it, right? Um, and uh, and let's face it, uh, the whole idea behind cannabis prohibition and cannabis legalization is capitalization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's only a matter of time. I mean, I can't even believe that companies like Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson haven't started coming out with their own strains and have their lobbyists ready to go. Yes. And I'm sorry, but you can't patent nature. You cannot patent nature. If they're creating synthetic, okay, go ahead and patent your synthesized baloney but you cannot patent nature. You cannot patent genetics. I mean, I know that, like, Monsanto has started this whole campaign. You know, they're partly one of the big evils that kind of uh, started that whole monopolizing on uh, patenting uh, nature. But it's, it's a load of garbage, and it's all about control. And in the end, honestly, um, despite whatever movement that they do make in that direction in the future, Mm-hmm. There's enough people out there who made it through prohibition with their plants, and they'll continue to make it with their plants even in the next stage of baloney. <laughs> <laughs> there will always be there. You're not going to be able to take people's plants away from them. People keep seed genetics. It's just it's going to be a war, and it's going to be it's going to continue. Um, and people will continue to go to jail. People will continue to have asset forfeiture if you're not playing by the government's rules, even though that cannabis really is a, um, a nonviolent substance. It's non-lethal. It's only helped people, and it's ridiculous that we're even talking about regulating nature to begin with. Oh, well, when you look at the people who are regulating it, it kind of answers a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah, this is very, very true. I mean, we have people like Jeff Sessions up there 
still spouting, you know, just garbage about, you know, like how anybody who uses cannabis is not a good person and things like that. Who says that? You know, I would say that at least 50% of the United States population, adult population, have tried cannabis once in their life. Did anybody go crazy? Did anybody have psychotic breaks? You know, was this like a, no, it's not the reefer madness that we were all <laughs> led to believe. And um, it's kind of getting to the point now where they just re- look ridiculous when they keep trying to spew that kind of stuff. Um, another little campaign that I've seen going on now um, is the FDA is trying to claim um, drug interactions, or doctors are saying drug interactions with cannabis. There's okay. no scientific background to back that up in any way. A lot of times they'll say, don't take it because it will cause a, a, you know, a side effect to this and this medication. It's unfounded. There is absolutely no research on that, and the only reason why they're doing that is because they want to deter you from using cannabis and get you on the pharmaceuticals. And I feel like once you start on a cannabis medical cannabis regimen, you're not going back to pharmaceuticals. It's going to be a fight to go back to it. That's, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> No, nobody wants to go from the chemical stuff, you know, you know, from plant back to chemical stuff once they do that. And it's ridiculous they'd even be able to ask that. But, you know, you look on the news at night and you're seeing like, you know, dispensaries in Colorado getting raided, you know, like right before the holidays. And it was like, what are they doing right now? Like everything's running so peaceful. They're getting money in like this. The states are bringing in money and it's like and you're raiding them. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made every time the federal government does a raid on a dispensary. Um, they they get not only um, the cannabis product that was sold in the stores, but potential to also seize the physical property if the people own that property, that store, um, any kind of equipment that may have been in there, you know, computers or registers. or All this stuff is worth money, and they're going to auction it off to somebody and make their money in their pocket so they can go spend it on, I guess, new SWAT gear or whatever it else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, it um, it's a lucrative thing to do. And, you know, we had that bill that uh, expired, which now allows potential uh, money to be spent towards um, attacking dispensaries or recreational stores. Uh, and, uh, we, we're, you know, the thing about it is we, we get comfortable. We get complacent with how certain things have been for a while and then realize, oh, <laughs> now we have to be careful because uh, there's new opportunities for prosecution. And... Um, I would just say if you're running one of these businesses, definitely cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure that you're following compliance 100%. Um, There's nothing worse than um, people who uh, are trying to run legitimate businesses but not following the letter of the law because it affects all of the other industry, affects all of the other businesses in that area. Um, negative press is not the kind of press we want with cannabis. Yeah, and that's the other scary thing is that, you know, when they're showing pictures of, like, Vegas when they were opening up their dispensaries and stuff, like, not too long ago, um, and they always get, like, the guy who goes there high, and they interview him, and they make a mockery out of him, and it's kind of like, stop doing that. Right. (laughs) Like, stop doing that. Yeah, they look for that 70s stoner person. Yeah. The long hair, the hippie, hippie vibe, and somebody's not kept and it, it's like yeah it's a it totally is a misrepresentation um i feel like cannabis is the people that use cannabis are just as diverse as the number of strains that are out there these days there's no one like you can't look at somebody these days and go oh he's he, he uses cannabis <laughs> I assume if they're not rioting, chances are they are using cannabis. That's the only way I can pretty much tell at this point. I just assume everyone is unless they're starting trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're starting trouble, you're doing it wrong or you're not doing it at all. That's how it works. So right. do you have a favorite strain? Well, I have a couple, uh, and it depends on what it is that I'm what I'm treating. Um, so uh, – for me, particularly right now, uh, I 
I am enjoying um, for CBD strains, ACDC. Okay. I love ACDC because um, it is an extremely high CBD, 20 to 1 ratio with CBD to THC. So wow. it's fantastic for people who don't want that psychoactive effect. Um, but it has incredible pain and stress and anxiety reducing properties, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, and then uh, for a kind of a 50-50 balance of CBD, THC, Canatonic is uh, another fantastic strain. Um, Canatonic can be used for people who are going through um, non-hormone-driven cancer. Uh, for uh, hormone-driven cancer, go with the uh, ACDC route, the high CBD, low THC. But if you just have, you know, um, just treating cancer in general, like, you know, in your body that's not hormone-driven, then the canatonic is fantastic. Um, it's also great just, you know, for pain-relaxing, mood-relaxing. Um, you know, the, the CBD really mitigates the THC, so you're not going to get too much of that cerebral high. It's more balanced and and uh, so if you if you don't really enjoy high THC strains, you can try that. Um, but then for, uh, I like Indica's, uh, for example, um, Nine Pound Hammer and um, Grape Ape. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, and then for the Sativa's, I like Girl Scout Cookies, um, you know, or uh, Gorilla Glue Number 4. Okay. And then kind of for your mid-range... Uh, uh, indica sativa blend I like uh, White Widow it's fantastic oh I just um, got my hands on some actually yeah so that's awesome and finally because I kept you way longer than I promised I was going to keep you <laughs> it's always me when I do the interviews they last a lot longer um, <laughs> can you share a recipe with us that you would make for yourself whether it be for health reasons or recreational reasons, whatever you want. Sure. So um, one of the things that I love to share, because this is really versatile, um, is infusing olive oil. And um, the reason why I say olive oil is because it can be used in so many different ways. You can use it in your everyday cooking and um, it's, you know, depending on what you're cooking with, it's almost flavorless. So, uh, like, if you're cooking, like, spaghetti sauce, right, you got all your garlic and your oregano and your your uh, uh, thyme or rosemary in there, you know, got some good strong flavors in there, you're not really going to taste the cannabis that much. All so right. So, for your olive oil, what you're going to do to prep this is in your mason jar, you're going to take half a cup of olive oil, and about one-fourth ounce of ground cannabis. And you can finger break it if you want. You know, you don't have to put it in a grinder. Uh, and then you're going to put the lid on your mason jar, and you're going to sit it inside your crock pot. And you're going to add some water into your crock pot until it reaches the same level as the oil in the jar. And you're going to do that um, 160 Fahrenheit okay. for the crock pot. You set it on the warm setting for the 16 hours per day for three days, like I told you before. Okay. Then you're going to strain it out, and then you're going to use it to make a vinaigrette. And so for the vinaigrette, you're going to take two parts olive oil, mm -hmm. one part um, vinegar. You can choose the vinegar that you type. I like balsamic. It's one of my favorites. love balsamic. And then um, I like to take some herbe de Provence. Herbe de Provence is a great seasoning blend mix. It's Herbes de Provence without the accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's got lavender and rosemary and other very good aromatic herbs in there. And I kind of crush them and, and mix them into the, um, just a pinch, into the mixture. And then I add a squeeze of lemon juice and some fresh cracked pepper and salt to taste. Oh my God. And then you're going to put that over your salad right before you serve. And it is fantastic. And nobody's going to imagine that you are having your medicine <laughs> while eating a very healthy, balanced salad. 
know, and and salad is one of the things that we all should be eating more of. <laughs> yeah, and this kind <laughs> of makes you want to. you can put it on top to. of a roast. You know, take that olive oil, and um, you can infuse it also uh, when you put it in the jar in your crock pot. Toss in a little bit of oregano, toss in a little bit of thyme, and uh, some minced garlic when you do your infusion in the crock pot. When you take it out, you can use that as your finishing butter to go on top of steaks or your or your roast chicken or things like that. You know, it's better to put it on top of roast meat rather than cook it with roast meat because when you cook roast meat, well, you're adding heat and you're furthering the decarboxylation and you might get more of a CBN profile and get sleepy. So the finishing way is a really good way to ensure that you've kept the potency of a product and... Um, Kind of created something special with your dinner. That is awesome. Oh my God, I'm totally trying that. That's going to be like the next thing that I make actually. <laughs> <laughs> which which has been happening a lot. I feel like every weekend has been spent cooking. That's what it has come to. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> got to keep the house warm with the with the kitchen. <laughs> I just got to keep my neighbors from uh, smelling it in the hallway. That's <laughs> and to see the thing about making it in a mason jar inside your crock pot is it pretty much is odorless it's double contained and it, you know in, in glass and because it's such a low temperature um, that also assists with not having a huge fragrant content taking over your kitchen you know when you do it in your oven um, there's really no way to seal it your oven seal is not very good. I mean, if you're baking cookies, you smell cookies, right? Oh, yeah. If you bake weed, you're going to smell weed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be plain. I'll be honest, you know. So um, in the mason jar, because the temperature is so low and because it's really two sealed things, two, you know, you've got your sealed mason jar and then you have your lid on your crock pot, um, I'm telling you, I, I have really had very, very minimal odor. I mean, if you... Um, if you walked into the kitchen and you walked by the crock pot, you would get a little whiff. But if you're outside in the hallway of your apartment complex, you're not going to know. <laughs> well, they know now. So I'm going to definitely go out and purchase some mason jars on top of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, thank you so much, Sage. That was, like, very, very educational. And, you know, going forward, if there's – any way that we can help you with anything or promote anything for you, like, please let us know. We definitely would love to link to your site and anything else that you would want us to. Um, Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to check me out, I have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com backslash 420 Sage Advice. And my website is 420sageadvice.com. So you can reach me both ways. And if you have questions or health concerns, feel free to send me a message. That sounds fantastic. And we'll also put those links up in our show description so people can get to them faster. And and again, Perfect. thank you so much. It really was great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I thought that was a fantastic interview. I Thank really you. did. Like Thank it was sometimes when you do an interview, I'm just like, oh, geez. Well, I cut stuff out. Yeah, you did cut stuff <laughs> out and you didn't even let me hear it. So I'm very appreciative of that because usually you make me sit through the long Tom right. monologues. That and, I, and it was nothing of that Sage said. It was just it was my you. story. It was just a Mar was just, you were Mario Lopezing. Like, I didn't which, mean to. And but her I just think that she is so in tune with with the industry and I really think that she should definitely be a source for so many people because she has such a good grasp on what needs to be done, what should be done. And she herself is walking proof of how beneficial this is as a, as a medicine, as medicinal. Right. And, and your stereotypical stoner that people think of when they talk about marijuana or cannabis or pot or weed, whatever you want to call right. it. That stereotypical person could not basically give the information that she gave. Like right. that should give you an idea of, yeah, you can be educated, you can be functional, you can be, you know, a user in in right. in 
a short way of saying it, you know? It's just a matter of people got to stop thinking about the stigma of it. Like, there has been such a, like, you know, you know, you're in the media right now. And every time I hear somebody going against the media as false news, blah, 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 it drives me out of my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Mostly because I know what you write. I know where you get your stuff from because you'll come home and say where you saw it or you're just reporting directly from a source. What, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like going, no, not all news is fake news. So I usually support the news outlets, but I feel like every time a dispensary opens up, they distort the people exactly. that no, go absolutely. in there so badly that it is killing the progress. And- you know, and as a journalist, I, I get that you need to show both sides. However, we don't, you're only showing one side. You're showing that kid in the dreadlocks that probably smells like patchouli, that's, you know, like Slater from Dazed and Confused, you know, with like, like, and that's not who we are. Every Everybody that I know that smokes pot is one of the, is is a creative person. They've got an analytical mind. They are so in tune with what's happening in the world. Like I've had political conversations with people. Like they know everything that's happening everywhere. And it's not it's not what your parents think. And that's who's running the country right well, now. Well, it's not what your parents think for sure. <laughs> exactly. And that's why my parents voted for who they voted for because it's a person that thinks like them because they don't have any understanding outside their own nose. Like just beyond their, like two feet beyond their nose. That's all that they, they know. Right. And I feel like you don't progress when you don't look ahead. I mean, this isn't like a new thing. Like the use of cannabis has been around forever for medical pur- for medical purposes. Right, I'm not even saying recreational natu- purposes. It's nature, and right. just like she says, like you can't regulate nature. And yet they're still trying to. Because they have no respect for nature. Because look at what they're doing. They're destroying international waters. They're destroying national lands. Because they're just the earth is burning, and they're just helping accelerate it. Right. And, you know, the other thing that's happening is that you have a situation where, you know, medical is getting cut, like different kinds of programs are getting cut that deal with medical. And now you have a drug that can basically replace so many other drugs. Again, not a fix all by any means whatsoever. But at the end of the day, it does have so many positive properties. Because and I wonder if it's because there are. Are, are there minimal side effects to, to medical marijuana? Oh, because, yeah, there's no side effects to medical marijuana then, outside of long-term smoking can possibly cause lung cancer. Sure, but, of course. And that's is, something that, I mean, a smoker knows this. A smoker a smoker sees that with those stupid truth.com store, you know, ads and things like that. It's something that we know that we're putting ourselves at risk for. Right. But also, I mean, you know, you also have to take into consideration that, you know, this is why we're doing a show on edibles and not smoking. You know, right. there's a million podcasts out there on smoking marijuana. Sure. And, you know, different strains and whatever. If you ingest it through eating it, you're taking out the chance of getting, you know, cancer from this. Right. And one thing, too, that Sage mentioned about um, about edibles, which is something that I never even thought about, and it affects how – when a medical dispensary closes because re- the state goes recreational instead. Right. Or in addition to the state goes recreational. Anyone who is using an edible from a medical place or, you know, an edible type product like a tincture or something like that, some of this stuff is not gluten free. Mm-hmm. So people with celiac disease cannot eat the edibles that they might get at um at a dispensary they're not sugar-free so a diabetic who has all of the the situations that come with diabetes like all of like the glaucoma and things like that they're not able to take those things so you're cutting out a huge block of people who are using the medical the benefits of medical 
because you're going to be able to get more money out of them if you go recreational. And that's ridiculous. Well, these are the times we live in, so. Right, and Big Pharma comes with so many. When you take a pill, you've got 37,000 other side effects. Every time you put a pill in your mouth, there's a chance that you can get a shit ton of side effects from that, which are things that you're going to go back to your doctor for. You're going to be like, oh, well, this might be this, so let me send you for a test, so let me do this, because side effects prolong what you're trying to be treated for. Right. But, you know, hopefully with more awareness, more education, the people will realize what's out there, what's available to them, what can help them. I mean, I'm not again, I'm not saying it's for everybody, and we're not sure. going to try to change everybody's no. perception of like what this is. But before you judge someone who's doing this, Maybe open up your eyes. Right. And as there, there's just not enough of that, like, right now. Like, everybody is just forming an opinion based on someone else's opinion rather than their own opinion. Right, so exactly. you got to get out there and just learn what it is. And again, if you're doing it, you know, I understand, like, the need or want to, like, hide the fact from people because of the stigma involved. But, I mean, we're at a point right now where if you don't step up and start saying, like, I need this. Like, not for recreational use, but just I need this as medicine. You're going to lose it. Like, people got to start waking up and revolting because everything is getting taken away at this point in time. And I think that that's such a lesson of 2017 because if you look back, it was a shit year, a shit government. But one thing that definitely, one good thing that came out of 2017 was this resistance against you telling me what. I can do with my body, what I can do with my mind, what I can do with my opinions. People are like, they're they're connecting now. They're becoming collectives. They're becoming united against this government, against these people that are trying to keep us from being ourselves. And I think that that's a really powerful thing because you look what happened in, in, in Alabama. When people unite, change fucking happens. And you have to, but you have to be brave enough to stand up, get out in the streets, talk about it like we're doing now. Because the more we do, the more that we're going to do. Indeed, indeed. I'm so fired up right now. I know you are. <laughs> so I think we better like wrap this up before you say something you shouldn't. <laughs> so thank you so much, Sage. Really, really appreciate it. Was it was amazing. Just, you know, and and again, you know, there's so much we don't know because we're new to this, you know. So, I mean, going forward, like I said, we will try to bring on more educational, you right. know, topics in concern, you know, in regards to this. And, um, you know, hopefully... You know, we can somehow help with a change, you know, that's all we hope for, really. We're just soldiers on the ground now. Yes. So again, Sage, thank you so much. Um, We will have the links to the social media and websites that she had mentioned. Yep. And we, I mean, if you listen to the interview, chances are you want to go and check out her stuff. Because, I mean, really, very, very Very informative and educational and i'm really really happy that we were able to get her on the show me too um now we're not gonna do a potsy this week because i feel like that show is basically the potsy for right the most exactly part. exactly but what we would like to do is give a quick mention to last night's lester banks opening for How to Be a Rock Critic, mm-hmm. where we um, last week's show we had on the creators of How to Be a Rock Critic, which was based on the writings of legendary and late um, rock critic Lester Bangs, who wrote for Cream and Rolling Stone. And, you know, he coined the term punk rock, and he was just this amazing electric and just maniacal guy, you know, who died in 1982. And Eric Jensen and Jessica Blank put on this amazing one-man show at the Public Theater. It's part of their Under the Radar Festival. We had him on the show last week. We went to opening night on Friday, and I was blown away. Like, I cannot stop thinking about this play. It was fantastic. It was like you were sitting in Lester's living room because the set, like they they had mentioned to us, is his living room. It's just a shithole. There's records everywhere, Chinese food containers, beer cans. Like, you were just 
in his apartment with him, it, you felt like you were just with him on a typical Saturday night where you're just listening to music, talking about music, and just listening to his his words like his words were so magnetic and so inspiring like just like it made me it makes me miss one miss being a music journalist so bad so if you have a chance to check it out it's playing um at the public theater in new york through january 15th um as part of the public's uh under the radar festival you should definitely check it out especially if you're a music fan but especially if you just love a show that's just not your typical you know, play that you think of. Yeah, it's just like, it's raw and it's punk rock and you really need to check it out. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. So, I mean, thanks to those guys for like inviting us down last yeah, night we were, and checking it out. it was a out great and, Friday. It was such a good show. Yeah, totally. So, um, I guess that does it for this week's show. I suppose it does. Um, again, all links for the things that we talked about are going to be in our show description, which can be found at highregardshow.com. And, of course, you can always write to us with any questions, comments, suggestions, whatever you feel like, at highregardshow at gmail.com. And you can find us on all social media at High Regard Show. And if you're not doing it already, you really need to follow our studio manager, Kona, who is currently eating a bone that you're probably going to be able to hear soon, um, at The Kona Persona on all social media as well. All right, everybody, that does it for us. We will see you again next week. And again, you know, thanks to our guests. And um, we'll be back. Catch you on the flip side. Good night. Bye.